It's been a jam-packed week in Independent League Baseball. Between partnerships, new teams, and lease agreements, there's about five different headlines. So let's just jump headlong into this episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. We are back again, episode number 81 of the Independent League Baseball Report, or just shorthand for Indie Ball Report, and apparently that title may have some issues in the future, as we have a bunch of Major League partnerships, and apparently Indie Ball is no longer the proper nomenclature. I guess it's not technically Indie Ball anymore? At least for the Atlantic League. the name of our show? The, the show name is not going to change. This brand has taken about 18 months to build to this point. To do a rebrand is not in the cards. I don't think we could change the name. But I know uh, I, you could definitely argue that Indie Ball is, is, a, is an outdated term. And if you told me at the beginning of uh, the beginning of the season that at the end of the year you would, you'd be talking about whether the term Indie Ball is still accurate or not, I would be very confused. I think we all would, but 2020's been a hell of a ride to this point, so I mean, should we really be that surprised that this is the year of all years that independent league baseball gets thrown like the largest curveball in the history of their existence, where they go from previously not even really existing in the minds of Major League Baseball outside of buying a handful of contracts from them, to essentially becoming a whole uh, development system for them that they don't have to pay for. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it, it's 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 something that it, it's quite the change, and I know we we've been talking about it off the air for a lot of this week, but just the just seeing uh, obviously we'll get into the nitty gritty of the, of these uh, partnerships and stuff, but it, it is kind of incredible that you now have the three major indie leagues being official partner leagues of Major League Baseball, but not so long ago. The MLB and like minor league teams were kind of almost actively going out of their way to try and maybe not to like kind of shut down indie ball because that that's too strong, but they definitely weren't making it easy on them with with territorial uh, rights and uh, saying that if you're a minor league owner, you could, you also couldn't own an independent league team. There's a lot of barriers for these independent leagues to uh, overcome, which is why it's kind of incredible that we've gotten to this point. And now that that, that whatever happens as far as what teams come in, what teams go out, whatever happens in that aspect, it's hard to argue uh, against the fact that Indie Ball starting next season is more important than it's ever been in in, in the landscape of baseball. It certainly does hold a, a more significant role. It definitely seems like they've been given more prestige than in the past just by having Major League Baseball attached to it. Obviously, we each have our own problems with Major League Baseball and the way they've handled minor league systems and just, in general speaking, uh, Major League Baseball as a laundry list, especially as of about the past year and a half of not exactly doing the most uh, popular thing in the world Whenever right. a problem really arises, take your pick, whether it be Astros, Red Sox, minor leagues, rule changes, regardless of what it is, everyone can find a bone to pick with Major League Baseball as of recent. So obviously we have our problems, but that doesn't negate the fact that it's still Major League Baseball. It's still the highest level of baseball in the world. 
And if you're a talented ball player, or really anywhere from just a kid picking up a bat to a 35-year-old guy, where you want to be if you play ball, it's Major League Baseball. That That's where you right. want to go at the end of the day, regardless of what problems we have or anyone has with the actual institution and organization of Major League Baseball. So it adds prestige to it, and hopefully at the end of the day, this works out as a positive for everyone involved. And with mm-hmm. that, I suppose we should just jump headlong into this uh, whole, I guess, partnership is the best way of calling it. So I do want to just point out here to start the beginning of everything, because this is an important groundwork to lay, because as we start to really get into this and start to get into kind of the weeds of it all, it's going to sound an awful lot like these teams and these leagues are now affiliated with minor league baseball or affiliated with major league baseball. And they aren't disassociated. There is an association between them. They are in a way kind of linked now. Yes, but they're not affiliated with them, at least not in the traditional usage of that word. They're not like you'd see an in international league team they're not like a pacific coast league team where you know these guys are going to have their rosters paid for they're going to be totally under the thumb of major league baseball in fact that's not really the case Uh, i mean we've saw from uh, josh schaub who i'm putting the hard press on now to really get him back on this show because there's a lot i want to talk to him about now but he made it very clear that the American Association is going to remain autonomous and that as of this moment, the American Association hasn't had any agreement to test rules. Same boat for the Frontier League. The Atlantic League, they're a little bit more interconnected because of that previous partnership, which we're going to discuss that in conjunction with this new kind of, I guess, reorganizing of what they're categorized of as now a partnered league as opposed to an independent league. Uh, they're a little bit closer and closer linked with Major League Baseball and their whole system, but they're still not affiliated with them. They're a partner right. league, but they're still autonomous from them. So, yes. So that's something that's very important to note. Uh, and also, I feel like either I or you is going to wind up slipping up at some point and saying they're affiliated now just because the you know they're kind of related now, although they're not actually affiliated. So in case one of us slips up, or if that becomes confusing at any point, they're still autonomous, although they are associated now. It's right. a bit of a distinction to make, and it gets a little confusing as we get into this, but I want to lay that groundwork off the bat that they are still, in a sense, independent from Major League Baseball. And with that said, now we can kind of jump headlong into this. On Wednesday, the Atlantic League became the first official partnership league of Major League Baseball. Uh, when they say partnership league, essentially they reorganized independent leagues. If they signed a partnership deal with one of these leagues, which is to this point, at least as of recording, only the Atlantic League, Frontier League, and American Association. If they signed a partnership agreement with those three, you're now in partnership league not an independent league so an independent team would be like uh, the united shore league which is also having their championship this week and i was going to mention that but then you know a tidal wave of news came on top of that. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so they're independent still the pecos league's independent still that western association of professional baseball thing that's been trying to get off the ground for a year and a half now that's still technically independent as well there's a slew of other leagues that are really kind of on the lower tier Pacific Association, uh, leagues that, generally speaking, they don't um, 
really churn out a lot of high caliber talent. They're more feeder leagues for other leagues. Those mm. are still unaffiliated in any sense, unassociated, a totally autonomous from Major League Baseball. They have no agreement as of now, at least. That may change. That may not change. Who really knows? Only time will tell on that front. So the Atlantic League became the first one on Wednesday to join this partnership. Uh, like I just said, they're not an affiliate of Major League Baseball. They're just in partnership with them. And this partnership is going to mainly focus on cross-promotion and joint marketing. So you'll see Atlantic League teams being able to use that Major League Baseball seal, promote Major League Baseball players and teams, and you'll be able to see a lot more uh, kind of cooperation with Major League Baseball and its brand. So something that you may be able to see now is a team like, let's say, uh, we'll use like the Greensboro Hoppers. I believe that's the name of the, the high A affiliate down in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. They may conceivably at least be able to play some sort of an exhibition series against High Point or Gastonia now because they're all under that Major League Baseball umbrella. That's something that could possibly happen. There's also a lot more the Atlantic League will push a lot of like Major League Baseball youth programs. I know the Frontier League had mentioned that that's the primary focus on their end is pushing youth programs. Uh, there's a whole slew of ways that this could be cross-promoting, cross-marketed between the two. And obviously when you slap a Major League Baseball logo and Major League Baseball players next to the Atlantic League shield, for a lot of people it really does raise how they view the Atlantic League and it makes you, at the very least, whether it is or isn't, think of, wow, this is really higher quality than what I'm used to. Now, granted, nothing really on the field is going to change with being called a partnership league. The actual mm -hmm. operations don't really change, at least from what I've seen. And that basically remains the same. It's really heavy in the marketing and promotional department. Now, with the Atlantic League, though, there's also the element of the partnership they signed in February or March of last year where they test out the rules and the equipment for the Major League Baseball, and they'd get the, the advanced stats and everything. And we know all the rule changes that came from that, and we've talked about that was at length on this show. Both of us have talked about it at length, both on the show and on uh, social media as well. So that agreement now is extended to 2023, and they will still continue to test the rules and stuff in the Atlantic League, but only the Atlantic League as of right now. And so with all that piece said about the, the Atlantic League aspect of this partnership, I'm now going to turn over to the guy who knows the most about the Atlantic League here in Will from ALPB News and also now the co-host of the Indie Ball Report podcast and let Will talk about all of everything that I missed in regards to the Atlantic League while I desperately grasp for water because I've been talking <laughs> for seven minutes straight. Yeah, I mean, Nick, I, I, think, you did, I think you did a pretty good job as far as... um really covering this uh, partnership now with Atlantic League and Major League Baseball. Like you mentioned, there was uh, some sort of uh, loose agreement between the two uh, as far as the testing rules. And like you said, that has been extended uh, to the year 2023. Uh, it was originally supposed to expire after the 2021 season. Basically, now the MLB can implement new rules for, for teams to try it's essentially a two-year extension of that agreement. And you, you mentioned, obviously, they can use uh, MLB branding, which they, they really could not before. There, there's a lot in the marketing side of this that is, that is obviously beneficial 
for Atlantic League teams and stuff that we've never seen before with independent leagues in general. Obviously, they, they had the uh, like advanced stats, TrackMan, uh, all, all these other, all the all these all this data that was sent from Atlantic League teams to major league clubs. It's supposed to work that way. I've heard I've heard plenty of there, there's plenty of anecdotal evidence that I've heard from people that say, well, they're not really the stats aren't they're not keeping track of as many stats as they should be. I've heard plenty of players saying that. I couldn't get my TrackMan data to send to major league organizations to send to winter ball, uh, winter ball organizations, which that's obviously a huge problem. However, I don't think if this is work, if this can work as intended, if, um, if players can get their TrackMan data, if this TrackMan data is actually working, uh, to what they say it is, what, what they say it's going to in the agreement, I think this is definitely beneficial for uh, Atlantic League players, Atlantic League teams, and uh, especially and also MLB teams who are trying to scout indie ball talent. Now, the big part of this that I did want to touch on: now that all the Atlantic League teams, all indie ball teams in general, but I, I guess I'll specifically stick with the Atlantic League uh, in this case. The fact that they now have some sort of loose affiliation, again, that doesn't mean that they're an affiliated franchise per se, but now that they are partnered, um, now that the Atlantic League is partnered with Major League Baseball, this could be really big as far as teams moving in and teams moving out. The reason is because it was reported by J.J. Cooper of Baseball America a couple weeks ago. I talked about it extensively on my Instagram page, uh, um, ALPB News about this essentially this MLB umbrella the fact that the MLB this one baseball idea that the MLB was going to basically have their hand in everything from amateur baseball to college baseball to independent league baseball this and the one part of that article that JJ Cooper of Baseball America mentions that's really really important and I feel like it's gone overlooked by some is this fact that there's this possibility that the MLB essentially would like to use uh, some sort of relegation system. Uh, obviously, the relegation system is very popular in European soccer. Of course, that's kind of dependent on field performance. This is not in, in exam. The best way I can give an example is let's say there's a there's a team who's like I don't know double A team of the uh, of the Phillies. Let's say obviously Reading's not going anywhere. But let's just say, let's just say that the MLB wanted them to improve their facilities and said to them, you have two years to make this improvement, this improvement, this improvement on your field or your facilities. And if that is not done, if those expectations are not met, they, the MLB could essentially relegate, for lack of a better term, they could tell them, they could replace them, the AA affiliate of the Phillies, with uh, an indie ball franchise with the, that has the facilities that meet that meet standards, and that that could be a really important piece, just because you could see teams in in independent league baseball that are kind of moving in and moving out, and the 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 part of the statement that is really important that kind of alludes to this. Obviously, there's no real there's no talk of relegation or anything like that in the Atlantic League statement. But what it does say, and I'm going to quote this, 
As a partner league, the ALPB will meet regularly with the MLB to discuss joint marketing and promotional opportunities. And this is the important part, including the league's shared goal of providing baseball to communities throughout the United States. This, to, that last part to me screams that teams that are cut, uh, that lose their affiliation, uh, from minor league baseball, a good example is like the Binghamton Rumble Ponies that it's pretty much, that's probably expected at this point for them to lose their affiliation with the Mets. This, that line to me signifies that, okay, there's going to be a lot more, there's going to be a lot more close talking between the MLB and the Atlantic League as far as teams that are going to get essentially bumped up to affiliated ball and teams that get bumped down to, uh, to independent ball. I know some people would, uh, would contest the fact that, oh, you're not really being bumped down to independent league baseball. But I think from a business perspective, as far as the expenses you have to pay and whatnot, I think it, it, it definitely, it definitely is, uh, a downgrade, albeit not, not a huge one. So I think that's the important part of this agreement. It really makes it easier for the MLB to control what team, what independent league teams they could potentially make affiliated and vice versa. What teams that, that they could say that they don't, their facilities don't meet their standards and they essentially, uh, go down and play in independent league baseball. So I know it's a lot of information, but, um, and, but I think this really could be super, super important. Uh, especially as we're now, we're now less than a week away from the September 30th deadline between minor league baseball and major league baseball that their agreement expires and we could see wheels start turning pretty soon as far as, um, what teams are gone, what teams are losing their affiliation, what teams are moving, are moving up to affiliated ball. We might start seeing, uh, things like that start moving as, as soon as a week or two from now. We'll, we'll have to see. Exactly. As we record this, September 30th is five days away. So in a week from now, when we go to record the next one, we could have a lot more news drop. It could be anywhere from another 30 to 60 days. I mean, I saw in one article I was reading that uh, we're between 60 and 90 days away from having a lot of this information clearing up. But that was from uh, Sean Riley, the president of the New York Boulders Frontier League Club. But Obviously, there's still a lot to work out here. This is, it's a very complicated situation here, and I don't think any of us really have an issue with the marketing aspect of it. I mean, if it helps bring more people to the park, it helps bring more people to the park, and it's such a minor thing here. At, like, the most gaudy thing is you'll see some Major League Baseball stuff hung up around an indie ballpark, and maybe here announcement of the following ball games presented in partnership with Major League Baseball. It's so minor. So I don't really see anyone getting up in arms about it. And if you are, I don't really know what to tell you. It's it's a very minor thing. This is not going to affect on the on-the-field play. It's the last part of that that everyone seems to be seizing on, including, uh, including yourself. And I'm not... Like, I definitely see where you're coming from in that it sounds like it makes it easier to move teams up and down the line. And I do agree with, with you in the sense that I think this partnership lays the groundwork for it. I think the main point of it, more or less, though, is to just kind of set up more leverage for Major League Baseball when going back in and negotiating with each of these minor league teams and going, look, if you guys don't want to play ball with what we're doing, that's fine. We'll just dump all of you. And we got our own, like, pseudo minor league set up here. We got a triple A, a double A, and a single A. If need be, we could just toss a handful of you that were cooperating in with us. 
or a team like, let's say, I'm just going to use Syracuse, for example, because I'm a Met fan and I know the Mets own that. However, I assume there's a, a dozen other teams that own their affiliate as well. A team like Syracuse, you could go, all right, well, we're just going to toss them into the Atlantic League, too. And the Atlantic League's our new AAA club. Everyone jump on an Atlantic League team. Now the Frontier League's a single A. Everyone grab a single A club. American Association's double A. Grab a double A club. It's easy enough to do that. And then you could just do whatever. If you need a fourth branch, then you could just take one league that was following the rules for the most part. I think that's more what's setting up here. Because I just don't see how the relegation works. Particularly if you have independent operators on each end of this. Uh, of course, you're going to have some independent league teams who are going to go, oh, well, it will definitely help us if we become affiliated. Our expenses will go down. And just from a business perspective, if you have a guy like, I don't know, pick your favorite player on a major league team, he comes to town to do a rehab stint. You know, if Todd Frazier comes to Brooklyn, the two or three games that he's in Brooklyn, you're going to see a higher attendance. It's just the way that works. So obviously, that will work regardless of where you uh wherever you have a, a newly affiliated team here. And obviously, Major League Baseball could say, like you said in your example, Reading, you're no longer affiliated because you didn't make the upgrades we required from you. That's fine. But in essence, it seems like you're gambling a lot on an independent operator and independent ball being gung-ho for jumping over. And then you have the example of, let's just keep using the Phillies and the Mets for an example. If a Phillies affiliate gets kicked out, presumably you're going to be looking towards one of three teams then. You're either going to look towards York, Lancaster, or Southern Maryland. You're really banking on those three teams all saying, yeah, we'll become affiliated. Because if they don't, then what's your next play here? You're going to go back to, say, like a Trenton? You're going to try and look towards a Somerset to fill that gap? Sure, that works. It's close enough. But you have to start to go... How close is close for these teams as far as where they want their affiliates? Because obviously, one of the things that spurred this whole one baseball thing alive was partially the pandemic, partially ownership, just saying we're tired of paying for franchises we don't need. And most importantly of it all, saying we don't want our affiliates halfway across the country. So you have to start to wonder how far is too far? Is one state over too far? Is it two states over that's too far? Is it more of a mileage thing saying we want all our affiliates within 250 miles of the parent club? Do we want it within 500 miles? Is it a thousand that's too far? You, you really needed to chalk that up and then you have possibly three different entities that all need to work in conjuncture to make that kind of a deal work. I'm not sure how much it works. And again, like Major League Baseball holds the cards here. So if that's their plan, they could really ham fist it in. So I definitely see where a lot of people are, are saying that, oh, they're going to use these independent leagues now as, look, when we go ahead and disaffiliate you, unaffiliate you, we're, you, we could just going to place you in this league or we could lay the groundwork so you could slide right into this league or we could use a relegation system as kind of a, uh, it's kind of the gun to the back of the head of, Either make the improvements or you're going to start to have to pay a lot more, not just for the improvements you're going to need to make, but for the uh, for actually running the club because now you're paying coaches' salaries and you're paying player salaries. I see where people are coming from from that, but it just seems like, like an awful lot to organize all at once to try and get it to work. Again, not saying it won't work. It's not something that's impossible to make work. And again, if it's Major League Baseball that wants it to work, 
Like I was just saying, they can force it through. It just seems like it's awfully difficult. I, I see where you're coming from, but I don't see why an independent league team, like in your example, like York or, or Lancaster or uh, uh, Southern Maryland, I, I don't see why they wouldn't be. I, I don't see why they wouldn't be down to become an affiliated franchise because it has it has all those benefits. I don't think like I I know. In the in this in this year of in even going back to like late 2019, where the first uh, first this first became a possibility was Sugarland and St. Paul. I know St. Paul was really the only one who said like uh, we're, we're happy being an independent team. We don't want to leave being an independent team. But all these all these reports are surfacing that maybe that's not really the case. I just don't see in a, a scenario in which case. An MLB team, an, an MLB team would come to, uh, let's say, a Southern Maryland Blue Crabs and say, "Hey, uh, we want to." The Washington Nationals go to the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs and say, "Hey, we want to make you an affiliate." I, I can't see a scenario in which they wouldn't jump at it. Now, I think on the other side of it, would would like independent teams that are minor league teams that are not owned by um, by the major league parent club. Could they, in theory, put up a fight about it? Yeah, they could. But again, the MLB, the MLB holds the cards. If they want to cut an affiliation with, a, again, a complete random example, like the Redding fight in Phil's, if they want to cut the affiliation for Redding, if they want to keep baseball, where else are they going to go? I think there's a lot of leverage with teams that are getting cut, and I don't see why teams that are now independent would would not jump at the opportunity to become affiliated if that opportunity was presented to them. I think it really depends on the circumstance. If you're an Atlantic League market, there's always been a kind of an expectation of the level of play. And if it's going to be, oh, we're cutting a single-A team, we want you to become the new single-A team, I think that will meet some resistance. Because at that point, already you look at what single-A numbers are attendance-wise, it's about comparable to what you have now, sure. But at the same time, you're lowering the quality of play, and if you're bouncing around between the two, because you would assume that, okay, Redding's going to actually now go, oh, wow, they were serious, make the improvements, and then try to jump back in, and I would imagine you'd go, oh, we'd rather have Redding, they have more of a history, they have more of a proven track record of success than, say, York does, and then York would be out and Redding would be back in. I think you would need some sort of an assurance that, look, if we jump in, we want to make sure we're in for good we don't want to be dealing with this same carousel of of what you just did to them in five years time we want to make sure we're good and i'm not sure if major league baseball would want to make that kind of an insurance i think it also really does depend a lot on just economics of how things are working out if you're doing well doing what you're doing now there's a certain school school of thought that says you know why take a bigger risk if you don't have to the risk aversion of you know one in the hand is worth two in the bush. That's a powerful mindset to have, especially when you're working with something with, that has as razor thin margins as minor league sports in general. So I think it really does depend on the circumstance. If you're going to be jumping into a circumstance that's comparable, then sure. But if you're going to be jumping into something that's going to arguably weaken your position, then why would you ever do that? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I understand your argument about, about the level of play. And of course, like an Atlantic League franchise, 
um, as far as their talent on the field, if you went from Atlantic League to single A ball, obviously there's no question that the um, that that the talent would decrease. But I think at the same time, I don't know. I I don't know how how teams wouldn't make more money off it. I don't know if people would then stop coming. I I I don't see how attendance would go down. Sure, maybe the overall uh, overall talent is lower, but you still have you still have top prospects playing there for for a season or half a season. You still have the, this idea of rehab stints. You still have this idea of um if it's if it's if it's a good facility. And you have good attendance to begin with. I don't see why then slapping an affiliation on there wouldn't. Um, I, don't, I don't see why that wouldn't um, make make more money, make more money for these independent league teams. So I, I mean, I, I do understand where you're coming from, but at the same time, I, I don't see why independent teams wouldn't jump at the opportunity. I, and and you said and like you said, if if like if, in essence, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I, I agree with that. However, Somerset and Sugarland are obviously very successful independent league franchises, and, and it, it's safe to say that they're both very interested in becoming affiliated franchises, despite the success they've had. They've had the two have had in the Atlantic League and in independent ball in general. So it, maybe St. Paul's a rare case because. So the, because not everybody's St. Paul. There's there's only one St. Paul in, in, in independent league baseball. No other indie ball team is drawing eight eighty five hundred people to a ballpark every night. That's just not happening anywhere other than St. Paul. If you look if if you look at Somerset and Sugarland being interested in this jump, I don't see why anyone else would not be. It, for me, the main argument just comes down to who you're affiliating with and the situation that comes around it. There's some, there's just something that tells me that it's not as cut and dry as that. I don't really know what it is, but it just seems to me that, yeah, you have your Sugarland and your Samurai that are very interested in jumping over. And obviously, St. Paul, it's going to be an outlier regardless of whatever argument any side makes here. But there's just something that tells me that. There's a lot more to being affiliated than just the dollars and cents bit of it. And I do wonder how many of these guys, and obviously you're dealing with millions of dollars each year. We're going to talk about how much of a loss that Winnipeg took just this year alone, a little bit later on. But there's still some element to it that is illogical. And I just don't think you'd willingly jump ship if you thought, if you had some sort of reservation about it. And also, that's all, we're going off the assumption of it's like a Philadelphia, where you have, realistically, three or four options of teams, hell, even more, arguably, depending on how far you want to go, if you want to replace a double-A affiliate. If you have a team, like, let's say, a Dodgers or an Angels that's in the same boat, how can you mm -hmm. leverage anything there? There's no team that you can leverage out there. Really, any team that's... I want to say west of the Mississippi, you you really run into very limited options as to how much you could relegate and leverage. That's and, definitely true. Yeah. And that's going to definitely affect how those clubs on in the western part of the country feel about that. I'm sure they I'm sure if ownership is already considering this based off of the amount of money they can save, they're going to say, "Whoa, I don't want them having that kind of an advantage." 
because they can leverage their current affiliates against teams that are unaffiliated. But if I'm the owner of the Colorado Rockies, I'm going, I have no one to leverage against. All I, I don't have anyone to threaten here unless I want to put my team way the hell away from where everything is. And if it's a double A AA or triple A team, I want them close. Yeah. So I, that's something that it has to work in here because if it's not level, then you're going to deal with it. And it's not like it, there's only five or six teams out West. There's more like 12 to 16 teams out West. So it's not exactly a handful of teams that would, uh, be kind of put up the creek here. Because already you look at the American Association teams, and if you're assuming St. Paul is saying, nope, we're going to stand put, there's a lot of American Association ballparks that right right off the bat are not going to get considered just because of the where they're at. I mean, the birdcage is too old to have it have yeah. it, an affiliate team. It would need to be torn down and a new ballpark would be built. And if they're building a new ballpark, it's going affiliated either way. Uh, Sioux City, I can't imagine they're going to be really a uh, a team that gets leveraged against. You can keep going down the list here for other teams. Winnipeg being in Canada off the bat makes it a lot more difficult because you have to deal with the border. Uh, there's a slew of other teams I could go through here, and we still have to talk about the Frontier League and American Association, so I'll kind of leave it at that. But I just think there's a lot of working pieces if you're going to try and pull any sort of a relegation or European soccer-type system here. And I just... Like I said, I think there's a lot of issues there. Plus, it depends on the contract that winds up getting signed either between each club and Major League Baseball or all the clubs and Major League Baseball. As to say, you could lose your affiliate status at any time or if it's once you're locked in for 10 years, you're locked in for 10 years. Because at that point, then you can only really leverage it at the end of the contract. Otherwise, I'd imagine you'd be in breach of contract, which now you're into a prolonged lawsuit here. And depending on what way the that suit falls, I mean, how it gets decided, you could open up the door for a lot of other lawsuits. And I'm sure Major League Baseball wants to avoid being in court for 10 years, fighting various minor league owners. Besides the PR hit, it's just a really unneeded expense that's going to trickle down throughout. There's just a lot of moving parts to it to make it very difficult. Plus, any sort of a relegation system in American sports just will not work because Americans just aren't used to it. And I just, I think part of the reason why I don't want to believe that it's a realistic possibility is just because I know it's going to damage a lot of previously affiliated teams heavily when they have to go from no longer affiliated or go from affiliate to no longer affiliated rather. And uh, it's, it's just one of those things where I just, I don't see it working out well for a lot of people involved in it. And I just see a lot of moving parts and it just seems like a giant headache. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know we probably got to move on, but I, I, the one part I did want to mention is I think you're definitely right that the um, it, it's, it's a much different situation for teams in the East than it is for teams in the West. It is, it, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole new ball game as far as, I mean, you don't really have a ton of uh you don't really have independent, uh, independent, really good independent options for a team like the Dodgers, a team like the Angels, a team like the A's. You don't really have those type of options. And like you mentioned, I mean, you could possibly throw Sioux Falls into there, but no, they're not going to be interested in moving a team into the birdcage. That's probably not an upgrade over what these teams have already. So that geographic, just wanted to mention that, that geographical 
idea is definitely important, and I do think it is much different for a team um, out on the East Coast than it is on, in, on the West Coast, for sure. Not even in the East, just the Northeast in general, because a team like Miami, Tampa Bay, Atlanta, they don't really have many options either. I mean, when you think of high-quality indie ball facilities, which is really what we're looking at here, it goes about as far south as Gastonia and uh, High Point. So unless the Braves want a team in North Carolina, which now I imagine they'd have a couple in North Carolina, it's not going to exactly all pan out for them. And even then, is North Carolina like a doable flight if you needed to call somebody in or to send people to and from? I imagine it's still a couple-hour flight at best. So, Well, I mean, like Durham, Durham, North Carolina is the AAA affiliate of the Rays right now. I mean, obviously, that's probably not ideal, but I mean, it's doable. I think it's a lot, yeah, I mean, it's doable right now, but I mean, I think when everything gets redrawn, I imagine Durham's a lot more appealing to, say, the Nats or something like that. Yeah, it's possible. I think that would work out a little bit easier there, but uh, regardless, uh, that's enough on the Atlantic League component, at least for now. Uh, We still have the American Association and Frontier League opponent, as well as a slew of other things to talk about, so we'll we'll move on to those now. Uh, The American Association and Frontier League announced that they became partner leagues as well on Thursday. Uh, This most likely is, like I said earlier, just to put pressure on uh, MILB teams and really give Major League Baseball more leverage, as if they needed that, in their upcoming negotiations. And uh, I do imagine some of the partner leagues are now going to take on... uh, these uh, 40 to 45 uh, teams that are going to wind up getting called in the uh, redrawing of MILB. Uh, one thing that is important to note, I emphasized at the beginning of the segment, and I will re-emphasize now, and this comes directly from the commissioner, Josh Schaub. He's the commissioner of the American Association. Uh, the American Association is going to remain autonomous. They will not have any role changes that weren't their own. Uh, they have they have no agreement in place at the moment to do any sort of Major League Baseball-sponsored rule change. So I know a lot of uh, American Association fans really do enjoy that element that they still play a regular extra innings. They still, yeah. they, they still play by a lot of the regular rules. There's no robo-ump. There's no expanded bases. There's no banning of the shift. It's essentially the closest you can get to Major League Baseball rules-wise as possible at the moment. That's not Major League Baseball, of course, and still in the U.S. So I know a lot of fans enjoy that element of it. Uh, That's going to stay at least for now. I don't know if this is kind of going to become a Major League Baseball. Hey, I know we're not going to, we don't have the power to make you do these rule changes, but it would really help you out if you were to do them type thing there. You know, kind of like that mafia protection thing where it's like, you need insurance. You should pay us insurance for this. Otherwise, you may have the storefront broken. I I could definitely see something like that happening down the line, but at least as of now, that's not going to happen. And I will say, at least for the past 72 hours, watching the uh, Josh Schaub Twitter has been terrific because he's went all out in defending uh, independent league baseball. Like when the idea of relegation got brought up, he was... He was very adamant in saying, look, some teams may switch in between affiliated and unaffiliated, but nobody's being relegated. There's a lot of American Association ballparks that are better than affiliated ballparks. Agreed. And he went all out on that. He really defended the league there. So you like seeing that. Um, moreover, we're going to the Frontier League. 
Uh, essentially, for the Frontier League, this means that it's going to be easier for players to be scouted and acquired. What that means is, at least in my mind, you're going to see a lot of the statistics added into the Major League system, so it's a lot easier for scouts to... You know, they see a a pitcher they like, they could just type their name in and boom, all their advanced metrics come up, all their everything comes up, at least what they have on file. It's a lot easier for them to find. And then in the past, an affiliate team would have to pay or a major league team would have to pay an indie club a fee to acquire that player. I have a feeling that fee is going the way of the dodo. Uh, moreover from there, uh, Bill Lee, the commissioner of the Frontier League, called it one of the greatest moments in league history. And then there's a whole slew of other information that came from other articles. Everything we've gotten so far is essentially either from Baseball America or from the leagues themselves. Now, this is from uh, coming from Sean Riley, the Boulders president. I mentioned him earlier when I said uh, the whole situation is going to get cleared up over the next two to three months. He said 60 to 90 days, so two to three months. I imagine that means we still have a lot of working pieces and we're going to find out what each of these leagues wind up looking like come the start of the 2021 season. And not to mention, all of this is happening still in a pandemic. We could be in the same boat we are in today, next year, where it's unable for for these leagues to operate just due to travel because of how vast a Frontier League is. That's still a possibility here. God, I hope not. I mean, like, I don't, I don't expect it to be like that. I think at that point, either we're going to have so many people dead, we're just going to say, "Hey, it is what it is at this point," and we're just going to kind of be numb to it. Yeah. Or it's going to get better. Hopefully, the latter. I'd hope we don't have you know piles of bodies, but you know, who knows at this point. And uh, Riley also went on to say. And that the league is going to be focusing on 26 and under players. So guys that would be traditionally drafted in these later rounds of the major league draft, it's going to be cut down. I kind of view it as the Frontier League is kind of taking the place of rookie and A-ball, or rookie and high A-ball rather, to where essentially Major League Baseball is getting the best of both worlds. They still get to develop their players in a competitive league, but they just don't have to pay for them. Now granted, you don't have the rights to these players, but if you see a guy you'd like, it's easy enough to grab them. Plus, let's be honest, how many major leaguers play in rookie ball or high A ball every year, with the exception of high draft picks? How I ma- mean, not probably like, I don't know, three out of the whole team, like in rookie ball, maybe. Exactly. So it's not like you're really risking that much. So. And for the cost to risk, it seems like it's a good decision for Major League Baseball. As far as the Frontier League is concerned, I think it does raise the quality of play for uh, for the league, especially as it expands up to now 15 teams. We'll talk about Ottawa in just a minute. But it definitely, I think, is kind of a win-win scenario, at least for now on the surface. We'll have to see how it plays out. In case you couldn't tell, I'm extremely skeptical of all of this just because Major League Baseball has done everything to undermine public trust in the past 18 months, as I said in the beginning of this show. So I'm going to be extremely skeptical until I see it work out for the best for everybody here. But even still, we have more news, and this is from The Athletic. Uh, Some minor league operators kind of expect Major League Baseball to keep minor league baseball in line by threatening to replace them with indie league teams. We talked about that just a minute ago, kind of the swapping in and out type deal. 
However, again, we'll have to wait and see on that. Obviously, it depends a lot on agreements that are made and having to get a lot of different parties all on board and contract law. It's a, it's a whole mess to sort out, but it is doable. Uh, the Frontier League is also still in active negotiations with Major League Baseball on a multi-year deal. That tells me it's going to be something similar to what we see in the Atlantic League. So that way they can get the trackman in, they can get the advanced metrics up to really help mm-hmm. develop that. Uh, I think that's kind of to be expected at this point. And I think it's just a matter of tightening nuts and bolts. And I think the Frontier League may want to try and keep a little bit more autonomy than the Atlantic League had. Because as we saw last year, especially in that second half, when a lot of those rule changes got added in, uh, players were not happy. In fact, on Twitter, Darren Downs of a former duck pitcher, he may still be technically current, although contracts at this point in the year are very, very difficult to figure out. He was asking uh, Josh Schaub, can you still pick off runners in your league? <laughs> <laughs> and then Schaub went in and basically said, like all the stuff that's kind of disappeared in the Atlantic League, you could still do here. We still bunt, we still sack fly, we still pick off players and everything. <laughs> and and Downs reply was some sort of a gif, and it was real funny. It was a good interaction there. I'll try to link that in the show notes. But uh, the last yeah. real note I have as far as news goes, uh, from the Frontier League perspective, the main point of this partnership is implementing MLB youth programs. Uh, I assume that means trying to drum up more younger fans in the ballpark. So on one hand, they were listening to us saying, if you call minor league teams, you're going to lose the youth demographic because that's where people fall in love with the game. Just they're doing it in a way that costs them very little money. So on right. one hand, good on them for being good at business. On the other hand, screw them for what they're doing because it's still scumbaggy. Agreed. The one thing I did, and I know that you and I were kind of talking about it a little bit off the air, but I think that the uh, like the TrackMan system and the advanced metrics, I think it is an absolute game changer for front, the Frontier League players. And the reason I say that and I think it's a lot more it's a lot more beneficial to Frontier League players than the Atlantic League or most of the American Association. The reason I say this is because with the drafts being shortened, the Frontier League is going to be one of those places where a guy who a, a guy who plays four years in college but is isn't enough to dr- uh, get drafted in a twenty round draft. The Frontier League then becomes an option for, for the said player. And if they can, if, again, again, if, if this needs to like work because it, it didn't really work in the Atlantic League uh, in, in 2019 as far as there's a lot of issues with the uh, with players getting their data uh, and, uh, and other instances of similar things. However, I think that teams will be scouting the Frontier League a lot more because of those guys that, I mean, you see all the time guys who are drafted after the 20th round, uh, completely surpass expectations and, um, and be, then all of a sudden become serviceable MLB players. I mean, look at, look at Alec Mills, the pitcher on the Cubs. I believe he was like a 23rd round pick. He threw a no hitter last week. Like you see, you see these guys, you see these guys come across all the time, but instead of them kind of developing in the lower minor leagues, now they have to prove themselves in the Frontier League. And I think that MLB teams, although there's there's going to be stats for American Association and Atlantic League teams as well, I think it's a lot more attractive for the Frontier League just because you're going to have those 23, 24, 25-year-old guys that MLB teams are going to be a lot more interested in than the 20, 29, 30-year-olds 
in in the Atlantic League, even though the talent might be a lot better in the Atlantic League, uh, MLB teams are going to be a lot more interested in those younger guys in the Frontier League. So having better scouting, more advanced advanced metrics in the in the Frontier League, I think is a game changer for the players. I think. It, it makes the Frontier League a lot more viable, and that is, and I, I really do think that you're going to see a lot more guys, a lot more contracts. I guess you can't say purchased anymore. I guess contracts taken from the Frontier League into MLB organizations. I think you're going to see a huge jump in the Frontier League next season. I can definitely see it. I think they kind of are now almost a larger scale uh, United Shore League type model. Uh, when we talked, or when I talked with Justin Orenduff, uh, back in May, I think it was, and he went through the whole business model of the United Shore League and how there you have that heavy emphasis on advanced analytics and, and everything from there. It seems like that's coming to the Frontier League now. And we're going to see that kind of approach put onto a, a more traditional type league and on a much larger scale. So I also kind of wonder how it's going to affect them because that was kind of their, I don't want to say it was their shtick because it was a very legitimate approach, but that was kind of their thing, that and playing out of one ballpark. Now, I imagine it's not really going to hurt them at all from a business perspective, but from just kind of trying to acquire talent. They were about getting younger guys in there, going through and running all the, all the advanced numbers and, and everything like that. If you have your option between going to the United Shore League, where there's only four teams, you only play a limited amount of games and you don't have that agreement with major league baseball or going to a frontier league where you could very well make the argument, look, I'm, I'm used to playing professional ball now in a more, you know, kind of traditional sense of traveling around to various ballparks that we still have the numbers. Uh, there's the partnership. So it's a lot easier to find those numbers too. I do. I do wonder how that works out. Plus, is there going to kind of be a bias, at least in the beginning, among major league scouts to say, hey, look, we just signed this partnership with them to kind of keep this thing going and alive. We should kind of focus on pulling guys from this frontier league as opposed to from these other leagues, just kind of encourage more of the same. I'm going to be very curious to see how it kind of pans out here. And yeah. as, we kind of, as we're about an hour in on this topic, and we do have a lot more to cover, so obviously we're going to talk about this for many many more weeks as this kind of plays out here but i do want to kind of just bring it to a wrap on this week at least on this topic with just kind of the general immediate thought after all this news came out because it hit us all really quick and coming into tuesday i was like oh, i guess we're gonna have to do that debate idea i pitched last week and yeah. then you know we had two partnerships two lease agreements and a team drop so obviously that idea is kind of like on the way of uh, gone into the wind rather, and uh, right. at least for me, like looking at uh, looking at all of this, I'm definitely happy for the players. I think this is definitely going to benefit them as a whole. Although I have had some players, you know, messaging me saying they're awfully nervous about this. They're not feeling confident. They don't know what this means. How this is going to affect them, and. You know, like, I want to give them answers, like, oh, don't worry about it, it's going to be fine, but I don't really have those answers either, although I'm, like, 99% certain if you're an American Association pitcher or an Atlantic League pitcher, this is business as usual. You really have nothing at all to worry about. As far yeah. as Frontier League goes, this is probably a benefit to you, because now your numbers are, 
in a roundabout way, part of a major league system to make it easier for you to get into a major league system. So if anything, it's better for you in that sense. It is kind of tough if you've been an American Association pitch, or not American Association, if you've been a Frontier League pitcher, rather, for for some time at least, and now you have an influx of younger guys coming in, that means more competition to take your job, obviously. And I imagine roster rules may get manipulated to to really cut down on those veteran spots or slots that got bumped 100%. up. Ori- yeah. yeah. That got bumped up originally to help the Can-Am teams kind of transition, which ultimately now it seems like that doesn't matter, which really is kind of a, a shame. I really wish I would have been able to see uh, that kind of frontier league with more veteran guys and just see kind of that one overarching indie league like I've had in mind for some time, but obviously uh, that's not going to happen now. But, and really the only sense that's poor for Frontier League pitchers is there's just more competition coming for your job. And even then, it really depends if they move where the draft is. Because if they don't move the draft, then you don't really have that much competition until kind of the middle part of the season. And at that point, sure, some guys are going to get added. But by and large, a lot of these managers have their roster set. They're not going to yeah. be changing it halfway through. Of course, there's going to be that one-third of the roster that's always the revolving Dora guys, and they're, their job is already on shaky ground to begin with, and they were very well aware of that when they took that job. But by and large, two-thirds of that roster is going to be pretty much the same for the majority of the year. And I I do see it being a plus overall, but it there is that element that makes it a little bit of a drawback. But- yeah, I don't, I don't think that... Um- I feel like they're not going to be so much signing guys who are finished with their college season in June and then, all right, in July, you're in the Frontier League. I kind of view it more as the next season. Yeah. I think, I, I think that's kind of more their, uh, more, more of their target and what's going to be kind of interesting to watch. I, I don't view the Frontier, I, I don't really view the Frontier League as that short season kind of outlet. I view the Frontier League more as that, uh, th- that full that full season A ball type of yeah. t- t- type of type of league, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. But overall, what do you think of all the partnerships in general, though? So, like I mentioned, I think it it, help, it really helps the the Frontier League. I think more than the more than the other two. I, I think it helps the. I think it definitely helps the organizations from a marketing from a marketing aspect. I just think that it's almost too early. It's almost too early to draw definitive answers from it when we don't know how this will affect what teams, if, if this will affect um, which teams are in the league. I, I think it's kind of too early to, to kind of draw any conclusions about that, considering we still don't know what teams are being cut from the minor leagues at this point. So I, I, I really do think in general, it's probably too early to say from, from like a league standpoint. Yeah, I'm, obviously this is just kind of a an initial reaction to everything, but I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I think it's a positive for a lot of players, or a neutral at worst. I think it, it definitely helps the teams, like you said, kind of uh, with the marketing and the promotional aspect of it. But there's just something that sits very uneasy with me about all of this, just because it's Major League Baseball, and we know the context around this. So, like, I... There's just such a lack of trust with Major League Baseball at the moment. I just can't be, like, excited and gung-ho about all of this. 
just because I really, really do not trust them at all. And I feel like there's some sort of devil in the details with all of this that we're not going to know until, like you said, it all comes out. But just on the surface, it doesn't seem to be that bad. Like, I was expecting to really come out and rant and rave against it, but I really, just at least from what we know so far, it doesn't seem to be that bad. Nick, I'll 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 put it to you this way. I think I, I think that the obviously there's a reason that the um, there, there, there's a reason that the MLB came to the Atlantic League American Association Frontier League to become partner leagues. There's there has to be some big reason that they did that, considering the fact that they've never done it before. And I don't think we know the answer as to why and what the major benefit for the uh, for the MLB is of course leverage against minor league teams, but I don't really, to be honest with you, I don't think they needed more of that. Uh, but and I don't think it makes it a huge impact that they now have more overwhelmed leverage. But I, I don't think we know. It still remains to be seen what the what the real real benefit for the MLB making these in- indie leagues their partner leagues i think we don't really know that there there definitely is a reason that we don't know yet of the mlb teams doing doing this that is really going to benefit them and I, I i think it's all obviously speculation at this point but i, I think that's that's the part that I, I i know you're definitely uneasy about and i agree with you just the the devil in the details kind of idea that really obviously we don't we don't see in the press release you know, like yeah. that's all we—that's all we kind of know at this point. They're not going to put in the press release what the MLB is getting out of this, uh, or the MLB is not going to put any like real actual details in their press releases. So I think that's there's a reason that they did this that we don't know yet, and I think only time will tell. Exactly. So we're gonna have to wait and see on that. And at this point, I think we can kind of make that transition now to talk about the the other two major things that we have here, which is the, the new lease agreements and the lease update situation in Winnipeg. Uh, chronologically speaking, the Winnipeg news is first, although obviously we know Ottawa has a team now, which I just want to, before we get into this, really thank the Frontier League for announcing this before we recorded. They, let, they put this out at almost noon exactly, so we can yep. incorporate this into the show because I would have been so annoyed if, as soon as we got off this call, I would have looked at my phone and saw, oh, Ottawa's now a Frontier League team again. Exactly. In fact, I probably would have called you back and said, okay, yo, we got to do something with this Ottawa bit here. Uh, it's kind of too big to wait a week on. So I'm glad we're able to get into the show this week. But before we talk about that, I do want to just mention the uh, the whole lease situation in Winnipeg, because it really makes everything... a kind of in a way funny and in a way sad and really explains a lot of this whole situation when you talk about uh, Winnipeg first. So on Monday, the Winnipeg Executive Policy Committee voted to delay the Gold Eye lease renewal. Uh, this has been kind of an ongoing issue for a while now about getting the Gold Eyes to renew their lease. This isn't an issue of Winnipeg doesn't want to, the Gold Eyes don't want to. It's more or less they're haggling over a price. In the past, they've only paid a dollar a year on their lease. Obviously, a great deal if you only have to pay one Canadian dollar on yeah. the lease. It's less than. I'd say it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, it's less well, no, than... no businessman, but that that seems like a pretty good deal to me. Oh, absolutely. But see, here's the issue: uh, the new owner or the new lease agreement, rather, would see that go to seventy five thousand dollars a year in the first right. year. 
then 85,000 the second year, and then 95,000 in subsequent years. That's no longer as fun. Yeah, no, it's much less, it's a much, much worse lease now if you're the gold eyes. And before the city was able to give them any sort of relief on any of this, they needed more information from the gold eyes. They needed to disclose a lot more as a for-profit, particularly as a sports club. Now, the gold eye CFO had said the club submitted audited reports, financial statements, and an economic impact study in the area. He also went on to say that other teams have received aid from the city without having to show financials. I imagine those other teams are either the Winnipeg Jets or the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Both of those are major league clubs, so I'm not really sure if it's the same exact thing here. Now, granted, yeah. uh, the Gold Eyes are about, I would say they're probably the best uh, Canadian team, or not best Canadian team, the best baseball team in Manitoba. So, of course. I, the bar isn't really high there, but still, uh, there's something to be said there, and I do see the double standard here, but you can understand where the city's coming from. One of them is clearly more important than the other. Um, now, there are some that believe that this whole finagle and whole problem is just due to one of the Winnipeg Goldeye owners, which happens to be former mayor Sam Katz. He was the mayor from, I believe it was 2004 to 2014, I want to say. So, some believe there's a little bit of foot play there, and the current lease does continue until 2023, so it's not like this is an immediate issue, but it does need to be solved in fairly short order, and a decision should be coming in November in regard to this lease. So without what we know about Ottawa, so just kind of put your Ottawa information aside for a second. What do you think of this whole situation? Justin Winnipeg. So, so it, it, it's obviously concerning, and, and I think it's Usually when we hear stuff about like lease agreements and uh, stuff like that, I kind of I kind of take it with a grain of salt just because it seems that more often than not, they tend to get figured out. I think specific the, the major one I'm thinking of is the Kansas City T-Bones yeah. of the American Association, although they did I, I did they, they, they got new ownership for that, right? Yeah, they did. Ram Meyer okay. came in. So, um. So, however, usually, so usually I take it with a grain of salt, but this case is definitely a lot different because it, it's undeniable how much money the, the Gold Eyes lost this year, specific, obviously with the pandemic, and just the fact that they, they didn't play any games um, at their home stadium, and they still had they still had certain expenses to put, expenses to pay. Now, was this obviously good for the league? Yeah. Do, do I think it's good for their bottom line? Probably not. And that's, that's the difficult, and I'm sure they got some, you know, some, they like, got some, some revenue from, from it, from, from, from Fargo Moorhead and all that. But I mean, at the, at the end of the day, I don't even think a lot of the, of the attendance for the Winnipeg Gold Eye home games there when they were not playing Fargo Moorhead. I mean, watching some of those games, I would bet there's a tendency to even crack a thousand in, in, a, in a lot of those games. And obviously, you could understand why because they don't have, even though it's professional baseball, they don't have that same um, community connection. Yeah, they're not your with team the, with the Winnipeg Gold yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like if, even in Somerset, like if the York Revolution started playing home games in Somerset, of course they wouldn't have the same amount of fan support from families in the community. And so I think that 
really throws a wrinkle into it because of obviously how much money that the gold eyes had to have lost this year based on all of that. Now, I, I, I again, I, I do want to take it with a grain of salt because like you mentioned, the lease agreement does go through 2023. This is something that obviously has to be figured out, but I don't think it's, um, I, 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 I really do think that it'll get figured out. Um, at some point, I just think that it might not be until next year where hopefully God, uh, God willing, everything's back to, uh, everything's back to normal and you know you could have you could have a sizable amount of fans in your ballpark i think that i i, I really think this will get figured out i mean the gold dies attendance wise they've done well uh, unless there's underlying issues that we don't know about i mean winnipeg has, has done pretty they're, they're one of the cornerstone franchises in, in the american association and uh, they've done well attendance wise i don't see how this doesn't get figured out. Yeah. So from this perspective, though, you could see where, where Katz is coming from saying, yo, this is a big jump in what you want me to pay here. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit jarring here that you want me to start paying. Oh, uh, what does that be? A 75,000% markup. Yeah. Starting three years from now, coming out of yeah. a pandemic where you assume they'll be able to at least play at home next year and hopefully. I imagine there'll still be some, at the very least, some limited uh, seating amongst other things. So you only have maybe one, two years clear of the pandemic at that point. And again, who knows how it'll go. But you can see where he's coming from there. It's a large increase regardless. But this whole situation kind of takes a funny turn. Because the following day, that next Tuesday, uh, there was news of a new deal struck in Ottawa for a lease agreement there. Uh, yeah. And that lease is a 10-year lease on, uh, I believe it's RGCT Park. I think it's Raymond Grant, Chabot, Thornton Park. And uh, that's where the champions used to play. That deal starts on January 2nd, so I'll run through uh, 2031. And uh, the owner of that team that signed that lease is going to pay $125,000 a year to the city. And uh, the funny thing about all of this is uh, the guy that signed that lease is Sam Katz, the guy that yeah. uh, is negotiating in Winnipeg. So uh, he's just signed a, a, a lease agreement that's at the bare minimum 30 grand higher than the highest amount proposed in Winnipeg. And uh, that's kind of funny there. And you could kind of yeah. see where he's coming from financially speaking in wanting that Winnipeg lease to be down awfully low because also he threw out the number in the Ottawa article in regards to the money that he lost this year. I know you were mentioning that. And he said, quote, seven-figure losses, meaning he lost over a million dollars by having to play in North Dakota this year and not have any home games whatsoever, uh, which obviously isn't good at all. And uh, I will say in the Ottawa article, he definitely hammered home the point he wants the Gold Ice to remain in Winnipeg because there was some of doubt course. and a rumor floating around that oh, you'll take the gold eyes and you'll move them to Ottawa, and that's not the objective here. Plus, even though it's an established brand in Winnipeg, it seems like a pretty regional thing here. It's like if you relocated, because really the equivalent, it's like if you relocated Somerset to, like, Lexington, Kentucky, does yeah. that have the same brand power? Not really. Not so, exactly. 
So while you had an established brand, it's an established brand for the greater Winnipeg area. Uh, so I just don't see that happening. You're better off starting with a brand new brand in Ottawa. And as it was announced today, right before we started recording, uh, Ottawa has been officially announced as the 15th franchise of the Frontier League. They will begin play in 2021 in Raymond Grant, Chabot, Thornton Park. They, uh, everything to be, uh, as you expected. Baseball's back in the Canadian capital. And Reagan Katz, I assume that is in some relation to Sam Katz, will run the day-to-day operations. And one thing of note that was interesting that I, that was in that, uh, that other article that Sam Katz had said was that Ottawa was courted by the Atlantic League, but said the Frontier League was a better fit. I think that again mm-hmm. comes back to kind of money. If you're running two teams and you have to pay 125000 a year in one lease agreement, and you're looking at probably around 100000 in another one to then have to run what's going to be the two most expensive leagues in the Atlantic and the American Association teams on top of that. It really does put a strain here, but the Frontier League, I have to imagine, is much cheaper to run, especially if you're going to have your roster filled out with mostly 25 years and younger guys. Uh, yeah. It just it seems like it makes a lot of sense here. But when you put the two stories together, I just find it be, in a sense, kind of funny how it kind of works out. Yeah, I think um, even when this whole merger happened between the Can-Am and the Frontier League, it, it, it when when Ottawa didn't originally, um, when Ottawa was not included in the move, it, it didn't really seem like, a, okay, the Frontier League wants no part of Ottawa. It's kind of seemed more like to me as okay, go figure, go figure your lease out, and then uh, we'll we'll look to bring you in when we when we start looking to expand. Obviously, this is pre-pandemic, uh, but I think it's definitely it's definitely a good thing for the league, especially when you now have um, when you when you now have multiple Canadian teams. I think that uh, with, with obviously now Quebec and uh, Three Rivers and uh, and Ottawa, I think it's. It's definitely good. It's definitely good for the Frontier League to continue uh, their expansion. I and it, it's definitely a good thing. Now the the uh, obvious follow follow up question is: Well, now you have fifteen teams. They're not going to go into a season with odd an odd number of teams. So who's number sixteen? Yeah, like that's the one thing I thought of. And I know that Old Orchard Beach has been a target of particularly Greg Locklear and Al Dorso for quite some time, and they want to work something out there. So I could see that being it. Everyone knows that the team I want back so, 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 so badly is Atlantic City. I want Atlantic City back badly. But you're right, there is going to have to be a 16th team. To make it odd like that, it's not going to really work out. I do wonder, though, geographically speaking, does Ottawa fit better in that Frontier Division or in the Can-Am Division? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, like, I imagine it'd be Can-Am because it's kind of like right on the border between where Ontario starts Quebec. Yeah, I, I would, I would think it's Can-Am. And, and if they had to move, like, if they had to move, like, Lake Erie back to the Frontier Division, if they were to add another team on the East Coast, I think that wouldn't be that terribly difficult to do. So I, I think it's more likely that Ottawa stays in the Can-Am division. They bump uh, a team like like Lake Erie back to the Frontier division, and uh, assuming they bring in another kind of East Coast team that you obviously could not put uh, in the front in the Frontier division, I think that's more of a likely 
uh, more of a likely scenario. Unless, I'm just spitballing this here, if Lexington winds up becoming unaffiliated, they already have a relationship with the Yalls and Florence. If you then pick up Lexington into the Frontier League, you could put them in the Frontier Division. They're right there with Florence, and they're kind of in the middle of everything else. It levels everything off nice and easy. Then you have some time, because I imagine Lexington could just pick up and join right away. There's not really much that has to be done in that regard. You could work out Old Orchard Beach while you find someone on the flip side there, maybe another affiliate that uh, is no longer an affiliate or just a general ballpark option. And then you could just kind of bring them in gradually. That bring you up to, let's see, Lexington would make 16. So then those two would make 18. And I believe 20 was the number that Dorso wanted. So then you just need to find two more. Yeah, I, I think I, I think you're right. Now, now that you say it, that 16th team has got to be, the Frontier League's got to be looking at a team in the Appalachian League or uh, or another team that gets uh, loses their affiliation. I think that's that's definitely where the uh, Frontier League has to be looking for, for their 16th team. It just makes too much sense. Yeah, it's definitely something that's uh, going to be watched. And it's going to actually make a decent show. We spitball through all. Once we get a list of teams that get cut, if they don't immediately announce, okay, these teams are going here, these teams are going there, I do want to kind of just take one show and go down the list and go, where do we think they're going to wind up? Where do we think they're oh, going to yeah. wind up? Like, I think 100%. That'll be fun. Just like a whole expansion type show. I think that'd be, that'd be enjoyable there. Yeah, but, definitely agree. Either way, though, I'm glad to see Ottawa finally back into the mold. It seems like a nice place to go. Plus, everyone <laughs> that I talk to, Canada seems to be a great place to play ball. Like, Quebec seems to be a really, really hot sell. And then Ottawa's a close second. That's interesting. I never heard that. Yeah, no, I forget where it was. I think, I know the Carson Lee interview that we did. Uh, if you go back and you listen to that, we mentioned that briefly. I'm not sure the Billy Horn one talked on that, but there was another one too. But Quebec gets talked up an awful lot as a really fun place to play ball. Like, a lot of people I talk to. Uh, yeah. I'll say that, like, specifically Quebec, but Ottawa comes up occasionally, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it is. I mean, Canada seems like a swell place. Yeah, no, plus, if you look around, like, Quebec City and Montreal and all that, really nice place. Really, really nice. Really nice. Yeah. Hopefully, I'd honestly like to see a team in Montreal, too. Because I know Quebec, the Capitals, I believe, are in Quebec City, as opposed to Montreal. But if you put a team in Montreal, I think that would be interesting to see how that works out obviously montreal wants a major league team but if you gave them if you gave them a minor league team i do wonder how they would do it, it would never happen but can you imagine if they put a uh, an independent league team in olympic stadium what that oh, would God. look like <laughs> that's either that, only that would be the funniest thing like ever <laughs> like already that place is a dump <laughs> <laughs> they're just like look we're tired for just wasting space here let's put an indie team in here so it could draw yeah. 300 fans a game in like this <laughs> concrete mausoleum oh I know. god it, it's just so funny to think about what that would look like it would be kind of funny i'm not gonna lie to you uh which as we kind of reach the end of the show here because i don't think we have anything else left to discuss here despite uh despite having so much news and whatnot but i think we did a pretty good job of covering all of it I do yeah. just want to throw one thing out here. So, occasionally I go on Reddit and whatnot, 
and I get bored, so then I just start looking up things of interest, because I got all the different subreddits, which are different communities and stuff. Trying to explain Reddit to anyone that doesn't use it is extremely difficult, because it's not really social media, but it's also social media at the same time. And apparently there's an independent baseball subreddit. It seems pretty much dead, because there's like one post every other week. But there's also one for the American Association. And so I started scrolling through posts and stuff, and we got mentioned on it. Did we? Yeah, we got mentioned on it. Someone asked, like, what podcasts do you do you listen to for indie ball? And they're like, Well, there's this week in the American in the association, and there's the indie ball report, and that's about it. And so I was like, Oh, cool, we're known. <laughs> nice. We we are on Reddit. Yeah. Well, even better than that though, because I was like when I first got onto the page, it was like one of the first posts, it was only up for like 20, 30 minutes or something like that. I saw your tw- one of the uh, stories on your Instagram page. I was like, wait, that looks like something Will posted. I was like, oh, wait, it is. It? That's why, because it is. Yeah, someone took a screenshot of it and posted it. Uh, of, like, the thing, like, um, how yeah. recent was it? It was on, hold on, I'll just pull it back up. And you, you have to. Now, yeah. now, now I'm, like, interested. I, I did, so now you can add into your plugs. You can find you can find this mentioned on Reddit at... Uh, yeah. You can go to r slash AA baseball. <laughs> Which now there's like a handful of Redditors that are listening to this and they're like, oh, wow, we know one of them's among us. We got to find out who he is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it says from one day ago, uh, the title of the post is anybody know anybody seen anything else on this? And it's just your uh, the screenshot, the one where you put up uh, the American Association of Frontier League will soon be announced as MLB partner leagues per Baseball yeah. America's JJ reference. And it has the AA Baseball one there. So... Uh, yeah, I saw go. that and I was like, oh, I got to mention this at some point in the show that I, I'm honored to be, to have a, a, a post of mine put onto Reddit, although it could not possibly top my, uh, Mike Ashmore. Uh, cause remember what I, I remember when I reported the, uh, back when the Southern Maryland, uh, all-star game yeah. was a thing and that was actually going to happen. How like, cause I, I had a source tell me that there was, uh, the teams were going to be the the Blue Crabs versus the uh, Atlantic League All Stars, and <laughs> it's like the defining moment of me running ALPB News when Mike Ashmore like puts a link to my Instagram post and like puts it on his Twitter and it's like, well, I've been hearing this for a while now, but I didn't think it would leak out until now. So here you go. I'm like, oh my goodness, I just got uh, I just got essentially retweeted by Mike Ashmore. It was like the defining moment, a defining moment of my ALPB news career. Hey, because now you're a newsbreaker. I mean, it's hard to hard to argue. Exactly, hard to argue a, against it because that's exactly what happened. And uh, it, now, like the ones that get me are like. When you actually see like a commissioner of a league like like and retweet stuff that you do, it's like, oh, wow, yeah. I forget, I forget that this is a very small pond that we're in. Oh, I know. <laughs> like, I, to, to be honest, I was a lot, I, I was definitely a lot more uh, like blunt and honest early on. Oh but, yeah. But I mean, not, as as more people like, I mean, I, I think I'm, next year I'm gonna get back to being more more blunt, blunt and honest about stuff. Oh, why? Because like for the first two episodes of this show. I was like, yeah, this one guy, he's a schmuck because he keeps trying to run leagues and they keep failing. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait, we're, we actually have people listening. Oh, well, that's a problem. I should probably be a lot more tactful. <laughs> I know. In my defense, though, that league did fail, like I predicted, 
And he bankrupted a team in Atlantic City, too. So I stand by my statement that he could be as hopeful as he wants for his league to work out. He has three concept ballparks and one that didn't work out. So I stand by my statement. The man can't run an independent league team. He can't run a baseball team. It keeps failing. I will stand by that statement. Well, now, now, now you're going to have some angry people in your DMs. Oh, no. How, works. how will I survive? I don't know. Oh, uh, God. It's not like I have to deal with one of them every once in a while, too. Exactly. Yeah. But, all right. So, before we totally descend into just uh, talking about random stuff, which will also just be a show come December when there's nothing to talk about, yeah. uh, we should just jump to the plugs here. If you want to find uh, everything we do, you could do that on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You could go to Instagram, either at ALPB underscore news or at Indie Ball Report. You could also find everything on the website. That's articles, show notes, episodes, videos, all sorts of things. The computer's fixed now, too, so I'm probably going to start writing a bunch of articles soon, too. Probably the partnership, Gastonia stuff, and now Ottawa stuff, too. There's a lot of options now. A lot of options. So there's, there's a slew of stuff there. Apparently, you can also find some light discussion of the show on Reddit, too. R slash AA baseball. That's an option too. You could do that. Um, also, I'm, I'm going to make a request that like the probably like five people that listen that are also on Reddit. I want when this episode comes up, someone to post it on Reddit just so that way we could try and find out what's my username. I don't think anyone's going to figure it out, but <laughs> because I've never posted there. So try and figure it out though. Uh, again, I just stumbled across that thing, and I was—I'm still kind of surprised that it's—it's it's just jarring when you see either someone you know or your own stuff out in the wild like that. It's like, whoa, exactly. Oh, that's that's weird. But yeah, but even still, uh, apparently you could do that. And then wherever you listen to the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. If you're looking for a different place to go to, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast. We're on Amazon Music now too. They do podcast. And we're there as well. Uh, I think we're on like Deezer or some site like that. Uh, the long and short is wherever you find podcasts, you can uh, find the show as well as in the link uh, on our Twitter and Instagram bio. Instagram bio brings you to the most recent episode too, by the way. Uh, with that said, I don't think there's anything else left to plug. Uh, do we have anything else left to say? Well, the one thing the one thing I have to add this week is when, when all of you are listening to the show, uh, the Celtics will either keep the, their season alive in Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals tonight. I really hope they do. Uh, so if, if by the time you listen to this and the Celtics have lost, feel free to DM me and comfort me because I will be very sad. Yeah, and on that note, I'm going to say I saw someone like either the end of last week, beginning of this week, send out some tweet saying, I guess the Celtics room didn't fall apart. And then they lost three in a row. So I guess the room fell apart. <laughs> the success. No, I mean, it's the success that went to their head. I don't know. I mean, the Miami's a good team. It, it, it's not It's not that simple. I mean, it's not like Miami's some bad team. I think they're, I think they're fine. I mean, they're, they're a really good team. So, you know, I, it, I can stomach it, but I'll be very sad if they lose tonight. Nah, if I want a career in Boston sports writing, I got to go after the team for being mentally weak. <laughs> I mean, you, you already you already took a shot at the Red Sox early on in the show, so I'm just saying, you gotta t- you gotta go for the clicks because we all know the Boston news media, particularly around sports, they're very kind and forgiving and understanding about their players when they don't succeed. 
Oh, very understanding. A hundred percent. That's just how it works. But uh, so with that said, nothing else left to add. We'll end this show like every show. Don't forget to play 